0: Great to have you along for some more half-assed history this week on the agenda. Going to be continuing our chat about Bartholomew Roberts, the famed pirate whose story we, uh, we began last week. Now, as usual, you know, whenever I come to a two-parter, I always say the same thing. Today's is not the best episode to start listening to. If you've not already listened to last week's, be sure to go back and get across all the stuff we talked about last week when we began Roberts' story. But to refresh everyone's memories... Um, here's some of the stuff that we talked about, uh, about Bartholomew Roberts, who of course would go on to become one of the most famous, infamous, and most successful pirates in uh, the history of the Golden Age of Pirates around the turn of the, uh, the 18th century. Roberts was born in 1682, started out as a regular sailor, just cutting about on merchant and slave ships for more than 20 years, and then in 1719, at the age of 36 or 37, he joined a pirate crew under the Welsh pirate, Howell Davis. Uh, Howell Davis being Welsh, just like Roberts was himself. He was a Welsh fellow as well. Um, and when Davis was killed, Roberts replaced him as captain and very quickly made a name for himself as one of the most ferocious, fearsome, and successful pirates across the Atlantic. He had all sorts of adventures, as we talked about last week, and you can hear about them in last week's episode. But when we left him, he'd just been caught by pirate hunters by sent by Barbados and Martinique, and he only just escaped them after bringing his heavily damaged ship and its wounded dying crew to Dominica, Robert swore revenge on Barbados and Martinique as he organized repairs to his ship, The Fortune. And that's, of course, where we left him. But we also talked about other more general pirate-related topics last week, such as the various pirate codes that different captains used. And I thought we'd start this week's episode off with a chat about another general pirate topic black flags you remember from last week how we talked about how um, Captain Walter Kennedy's flag was just an absolute embarrassment the dumbest flag dumbest pirate flag you're ever gonna see it had a skull with this idiotic human face on it with eyes and you know nose and, and everything. But it wasn't just Kennedy that designed his own flag. It was very common for pirate captains to have their own specific black flag that they flew themselves, although, you know, there, there were often common elements and similarities between many of them. So let's talk about pirate flags. Let's talk about what they looked like and what they were used for and why they existed in the first place and maybe how they came to be known as Jolly Rogers. And we can start this discussion by talking about Roberts on Dominica. He was absolutely spewing about the pirate hunters, he was so angry about it that he had a new black flag made for his ship. And we all know what the modern conception of a pirate flag is. You know, it's, it's black with white designs emblazoned uh, uh, across them, typically a skull and a crossbones, and, you know, some of these elements turned up in the flag that Roberts designed there on Dominica. But in reality... Pirate flags came in all sorts of different designs, and in some cases different colours, although most were just black. Uh, in terms of designs, most flags had a skull or a skeleton uh, on them, but uh, also they varied wildly in terms of the, you know, what the skull looked like, as we've seen with Kennedy's flag, and uh, what the skeleton was, was doing, or what, what the skeleton was meant to represent. Um, often the skeleton would be meant to personify death, uh, sometimes it would be holding Uh, different weapons a sword or a spear or but not not really ever a scythe interestingly enough Um, and then other designs that were often incorporated into flags included things like hearts red usually colored red and often bleeding or being pierced by something and then there are other designs like arms holding swords hourglasses were often featured very prominently on um, on pirate flags as well so all sorts of different elements came together in pirate uh, in pirate flags The classic Jolly Roger that we all so strongly associate with pirates in general today was actually more specifically associated with Sam Bellamy and Edward England back then, while Calico Jack Rackham, you remember him from episode 49, get across it, he flew a skull and crossed swords rather than bones. But when it comes to our mate Roberts he had started out with a flag that showed him, Roberts himself, on the flag, holding an hourglass with death, right? A skeleton who was holding a spear. Again, it seems like he wasn't using a scythe back in those days. But after this encounter with Barbados and Martinique, he had this new flag made that showed him, again, himself on the flag, standing on two skulls. And one of these skulls was labelled ABH and the other a M-H, and this stood for a Barbadian head and a Martiniquian head, respectively. And this flag looked, I mean, honestly, look, it it, it looked pretty dumb. Uh, Like, I don't think anyone's looking at the letters A-B-H and going, ah, yes, of course, he's on a campaign of revenge against Barbados. That clearly represents a Barbadian head. Um, So it's a pretty bad flag. Sorry, Roberts, that wasn't your best effort. But then again, the flag was nowhere near as bad as Kennedy's. So, you know, he had that going for him at least. Anyway, in later years, Roberts uh, changed the designs of his flags. He flew plenty of other ones. There was one of death uh, with an hourglass and crossed bones in each hand. Um, There was one with a spear and a bleeding heart. One with a skull and a single sword. Uh, Not not crossed swords like Rackham, but just one underneath the skull. So all sorts of different ones. But the most impressive flag that Roberts flew, without a doubt was one that once again represented him, he had his, he had a picture of himself on his flag again, brandishing a flaming sword against death himself. So he started off holding an hourglass with death, right? And by the end of it he's got a flag where he's waving a flaming sword at death. So Bartholomew Roberts wasn't afraid of anyone, not even death himself. How about that one? Very characteristic of him. Um, I want to talk about I want to answer two more questions about pirate flags before we continue the story however, when we're all going to learn something today. <clears throat> The first thing why do they even use flags? Like why would you broadcast to the world that you're a pirate? It's never going to lead to any good result. If you, if you come across a ship that is weaker than you and is worried about being attacked by pirates, they're going to as soon as they see the the black flag, they're going to sail away as fast as they can as soon as the moment they see you on the horizon. Or alternatively, if you come across, you know, a pirate hunter or a naval like a military vessel that could easily take you in a fight they're going to see you with a pirate flag and be like right we'll have them we'll just they're, they're pirates let's go and kill them so it's never going to bring about a good result why even use these pirate flags in the first place why not just you know wouldn't it be better to sneak up on ships without announcing that you were pirates well yes it would and that's exactly what most pirate crews did they would either fly no flags at all or false flags. They would often carry the flags of other major seafaring nations, hoist them up as they approached a ship, and then run it down and instead run up the black flag once they were too close for the other ship to escape. But still you might be asking why? Why run up the pirate flag at this point? Why, why signal your intentions to them even when you're that close? Because they wanted to scare and intimidate the opposing ship into surrendering from the outset. The black flags were designed to instill fear into the crews of the ships that they were attacking. And they were designed essentially to make them give up before a fight had even taken place, something that they wouldn't do if they were fighting a legitimate ship. Crews of many nations had to, by law, give quarter, right? So if, for example, Britain was at war with Spain and a British privateer attacked a Spanish ship, if the Spanish surrendered, the British privateer would have to accept that surrender and stop fighting straight away as soon as the surrender was given. So with that in mind, some crews might see a national flag, let's say a pirate ship approaches with a British flag. They might go, "Oh, okay, well, you know, it's just a British privateer. They're not pirates. We can fight them. We'll see how it goes, and if we start losing, we'll just surrender and it'll be okay." The thing is, pirates were under no such obligations. And so when you ran up the black flag, you were effectively you're essentially warning people. You were saying like, if you fight us, we'll kill you. Like, we're not. We don't have to abide by any laws. We don't have to follow the. Uh, you know, we, we don't have to accept your surrender. We don't do anything else like that. And the idea behind that was the crews wouldn't want to risk their lives with a fight, and so would just capitulate. And it worked too. I mean, it worked almost too well in the case of Bartholomew Roberts, as well as we'll discover a little bit later on. There are stories about a black pirate flag being a demand of surrender with a follow-up red flag indicating that it was now too late, no quarter would be given. This theory is heavily debated and and might not actually be the case, but we do know that black flags were used by pirates to scare their victims into surrendering because why would you risk your crew and your ship fighting when you could just scare someone into giving up and handing over all their loot without bloodshed just by, you know, waving around a, a bit of black cloth? It seems like a much easier way to get the job done. The second question is this, why are these flags known as Jolly Rogers? Well, the answer to this question is a little more difficult to pin down, but funnily enough, it may actually have something to do with Bartholomew Roberts himself. I already told you last week how he loved to cut about in red clothing, rich scarlet clothing, and according to some historians, this led the French uh, to give him a nickname, Le Jolly Rouge, right, The, the pretty red. And the story goes that uh, Le Jolly Rouge became corrupted into the Jolly Roger, which then became a byword for his flag and then pirate flags more generally everywhere. But then again, as some pirate flags were actually red, um, uh, it could have just been a nickname for red flags more broadly. Uh, in which case, it then you know opened up to refer to any pirate flag. It's all, all of these theories are very tenuous. I don't feel like any of them are true. Honestly, who knows, really? We actually we actually just don't have a proper understanding of where the term Jolly Roger uh, comes from. There are some old publications from the 18th century where where pirate flags are referred to as old Rogers as well, which kind of blows the French theory out of the water. So who knows? Who knows? I'm sorry, I'm not able to answer that question. Finally, one more thing. An interesting little fact about pirate flags before we get on with the story of Bartholomew Roberts here. If you were found in possession of one on your ship, even if you weren't flying it, if you just had one, that was enough to be hanged. It was, it was actually a hanging offence. You could be done for piracy to simply just have a pirate flag on your ship. The, the reasoning being you as a sailor, as a, as, a, as a captain, as a as someone aboard a ship, you had no reason to have a pirate flag unless you were a pirate. So even being in possession of a pirate flag aboard a ship was enough to get you hanged for piracy. And you would therefore enjoy dancing the hempen jig like so many other pirates uh, did back then. Anyway, let's continue with the tale of Bartholomew Roberts. And to do so, we're going all the way back. We're going all the way back to 1720. This is where we left Roberts ashore on Dominica in the wake of that pirate hunter attack from Barbados and Martinique that I talked about. After making repairs to the fortune, Roberts decided to sail north. Quite a long way north, too. He, He went all the way up to Newfoundland, which is, of course, today part of modern Canada. This isn't a part of the world that's often associated with the golden age of piracy, which tends to more heavily focus on the Caribbean. Um, But I mean, you know, where there was shipping, there were pirates, and Roberts and his crew attacked and raided and plundered other ships wherever they could as they headed up further north. Remember, Roberts had the highest ships captured count of any pirate in this period in history. And as we move into mid-1720, this number was going up and up as he headed past Nova Scotia and to Newfoundland. And it was in Newfoundland, in the harbour of a fishing settlement called Trespassy, that he increased his ship count quite considerably. In this harbour, he discovered no fewer than 22 merchant ships, plus uh, over 100 smaller fishing ships. And Roberts, as you would in this situation, he ordered his flag unfurled and flown from the mast and he sailed into the harbour. And such was the fear that the arrival of this pirate struck into the hearts of the captains of all of the merchant vessels, that they immediately surrendered. They struck their colours, they abandoned their ships, str- and just handed them over to Roberts, just like that, without a fight. The pirates sailed into Trespassay and, t- and essentially took it over then and there, without firing a shot. None dared to resist the armed crew that descended upon this town. And so Roberts, I mean, a very he made very, very quick work of Trespassay. But check this out. He wasn't happy about this at all. He was he was so unimpressed with the cowardice of the merchant captains that he decided to punish them for it. He thought all of them, the most disgracefully spineless weasels abandoning their ships without a fight as they did. Which I doesn't make a lot of sense to me because like we just talked about the fact that the Jolly Roger was designed to do exactly that, scare people into giving up their ships without a fight. Like Roberts made if you wanted a fight, just Attack these ships and, you know, get your cutlass and your pistol out and go and bloody chop some people to bits. Like, I don't know what you want, man. You, you put up the black flag, people surrendered. That's how it's supposed to go. Anyway, he decided that this wasn't good enough and that he was actually just, you know, he was going to punish these captains for their gutlessness. And how did he punish them, you, you might wonder? Well, it was rather a less bloodthirsty punishment than you might expect. After occupying the settlement, every morning, Roberts would get up early and fire a gun to summon all of the captains to his ship. Right? And he told them if any of them actually failed to appear when he gave them the summons, he would burn their ships to ashes. And so every morning all these captains, they'd file out to the harbour and you know get a tongue lashing about how they're all, they're all gutless wonders while, uh, while Roberts and his crew were making ready their next move. And what they were doing was this. They seized a larger uh, ship, a brig... Uh, which one that was obviously taken from the merchants and they outfitted it with 16 guns and got it ready to sail away uh, alongside the fortune, right? So he was again, building a little fleet for himself. He was going to sail away with his second ship. It took about a week and a half. And every day for that week and a half, he'd wake these captains up and he'd, uh, he'd, he'd blast them for, for, you know, leaving their ships to him like that. I, uh, very strange thing to have done that. I don't know what he was, what point he was trying to prove by doing this, but he did it. And then, you know, after making all these captains come to his ship every morning, just so he could know, tell them off, tell them off, and threaten to burn down their ships if they didn't come, do you know what he did as he left? Yep, he burnt down their ships anyway. Uh, he sailed his new brig out of the out of the Trespassy Harbour with uh, with the, the sloop that he would had from before, and he left nothing but smoking ruin in his wake. So all those captains, I mean, weren't they made fools of getting up early every morning and then just having their ships burnt down all the same? Anyway. With his work done uh, in Trespassy and armed with a much larger and much more dangerous ship than just the sloop that he'd had, Roberts and his crew decided to sail south, back towards the Caribbean, and they did very well for themselves as they sailed too. They ended up upgrading once again from the brig. The brig actually didn't stick around too long uh, with, uh, with Roberts. Um, they, they abandoned it for a French warship that instead had 26 cannons. And Roberts renamed this ship the Good Fortune and continued to attack ships with both the Fortune and the Good Fortune and take their loot until, guess who he ran back into again? Old mate Montigny La Palisse from last week aboard the Sea King. You'll remember him from the last episode. Now, perhaps luckily for La Palisse, the first thing that he did when he met Roberts was apologise. He apologized for bailing on Roberts when the pirate hunters attacked, and Roberts seemed to have forgiven him because the two of them fell in again. They fell in together, started sailing, joined forces, and sailed in concert for actually for quite some time, on and off um, over the next couple of years, including right now in July 1720, as Roberts was heading south into the West Indies. And after arriving, this little pirate fleet hopped from island to island, capturing ships, terrorizing merchants and other sailors, and generally just having a great time living the pirate life. But at one point in September, they had to careen the good fortune to repair it. Uh, careening, I've talked about it in previous episodes, it's when you intentionally beach your ship uh, so as to clean and maintain the, the, the part of the hull that's usually under the water. And after repairing it, Roberts renamed the good fortune the Royal Fortune. And this was the first of many of Roberts' ships to bear this name, the Royal Fortune, as we'll discover. Uh, and once it was afloat again, he sailed on into further into the Caribbean uh, and arrived at the Isle, the island of St. Bartholomew, which is still a French, uh, French possession to this day. It was back then as well. And the French governor there decided, quite wisely, I think, that discretion was the better part of valour. Roberts arrived, this infamous pirate who'd been, uh, you know, looting and pillaging and plundering up and down the, the Atlantic for, for so long. And after arriving at his doorstep, this French governor, he decides, well, no, this is not a fight I want to take. He instead welcomed Roberts, black flags flying proudly from his ship. He welcomed Roberts and rolled out the red carpet, invited them into the town and just let them get pissed and party and spend all their gold and have a great time. And I mean, really quite sensible thinking, considering it probably ended up putting a lot of wealth into Roberts his town, as the pirates paid for drink and, you know, the, the services of ladies of negotiable affection and, and whatever else they wanted to, uh, to to get amongst have a good time. Quite a sensible move from the French governor there, just, again, stepping out of the way, taking the path of least resistance and letting the pirates just enjoy themselves. So the off, I mean, you know, the ultimate consequence of this was that Roberts didn't leave the town, a smoking ruin. Nice. And in late October, again, he set sail, uh, reportedly after leaving uh, St. Bartholomew, capturing 15 ships in three days. Not a bad haul. And amongst these 15 ships was their most important prize. They captured a 52-gun French warship. This thing was massive. Uh, But it was actually one of the people aboard this ship. That really caught Roberts' attention. Because sailing aboard this massive warship was none other than the governor of Martinique. The governor who had sent pirate hunters after Roberts. The ones that had uh, had, had you know, left him uh, with a tattered ship on the shores of Dominica. So... Roberts squarely blamed this bloke, and of course the governor of Barbados as well, uh, for his encounter with these pirate hunters. I mean, think of the think of the flag that he made. <laughs> his hatred was so great he made a he made a flag uh, displaying to the world just how much he he wanted revenge. And he got it at least a little bit because of this. Roberts took his vengeance upon the uh, the governor of Martinique by hanging him from the yardarm of his own ship. This fifty two gun warship became the uh, uh became the gallows, really, for this poor governor. A uh, nasty way to go. But such was Roberts' hatred of authority, and in particular of Martiniquin e. authority. And uh, after this, he took the ship for himself. Of course he did. Roberts took it as a new flagship and renamed it the Royal Fortune, re-renaming the old Royal Fortune the Good Fortune once again. And using a 52-gun warship was a little... Unusual for a pirate who, as I mentioned last week, they preferred small and light and speedy sloops so they could get around quickly and manoeuvre and whatever else. But Roberts, he was gaining such a fearsome reputation that he didn't seem to think it necessary to flee in sloops, and so this enormous new royal fortune became his primary vessel. And in it, he continued his reign of terror in the Caribbean into 1721. He attacked and captured ships of all kinds, tons of them. Stripping them, stripping them of their loot and entrenching his reputation as a terrible pirate lord. Um, terrible in the Sauron sense, I guess I should say, not in the Walter Kennedy sense. Um, I suppose that really goes without saying. He was terrible in the sense that he inspired terror, not in the sense that he was bad at his job. He was, in fact, exceedingly good at his job, so much so that he actually became the victim of his own success. This is not a joke. By the time we get to March 1721... Shipping in the Caribbean has, it's dried up. Like, captains are are just actually too scared to set sail, given how rife, dangerous pirates like Roberts are. Roberts captured that many ships that he scared other sailors onto dry land, with many of them refusing to set sail while he prowled prowled about on the Royal Fortune, ready to liberate the contents of their holds. And as the number of targets for, for, for Roberts diminished... He and his crew decided instead to sail elsewhere to seek new adventure. And so they settled upon making a trip across the Atlantic back to where it all began for Roberts, off the coast of West Africa. And so he and his pirate fleet, they headed off eastwards, arriving at the Cape Verde Islands in late April. And there he finally abandoned the huge Royal Fortune. It wasn't in the best of nick by now, its poor condition probably not being helped all that much by the risks involved with piracy. So he abandoned it and he moved on to a new ship and renamed it, can you guess, yes, the Royal Fortune. But you'll never guess which ship it was before it was renamed, that it was in fact the Sea King. In early 1721, La Police was back sailing with Roberts again and decided to take one of the other prizes that he'd captured for himself, and so gave the Sea King to his Welsh friend, and Roberts promptly renamed it, of course, the Royal Fortune, and he took to zipping about in a small uh, a small sloop once again after his time in this massive warship. La Police didn't seem to mind this state of affairs, but I, I, I don't know if the two of them fell out or they just went their separate ways, but he didn't stick around with Roberts that much longer after they arrived in Africa, shortly after arriving on the west coast, he set up on his own and, and honestly actually kind of fell off the face of history after that. Um, and La Palisse was wasn't the only captain to, to leave uh, Roberts behind because the captain of the Good Fortune, one of Roberts' subordinates, also absconded. Probably not with uh, Roberts' blessing this time around, um, just as Walter Kennedy had done years ago. But uh, this honestly didn't get in the way of Roberts' success. He didn't waste time in capturing new ships, uh, some French warships that were foolish enough to ch- challenge him in combat. Uh, And he took them and he added them to his fleet, renaming them Ranger and Little Ranger. Ranger had 16 guns, while Little Ranger had 10. Although it would have been a lot funnier, honestly, if it had had more. So yeah, that was a little disappointing. Anyway, with these three ships, he continued raiding up and down the African coast and arrived in Sierra Leone. And it was there that he was warned about two enormous 50-gun British warships that were patrolling the Atlantic for pirates like Roberts. This was a a pretty significant threat to Roberts in his reign of terror, and he was very grateful to the old retired pirate who had warned him of these ships, a bloke whose name was John Old Crackers Ledston, which is just such a name. Imagine having the nickname Old Crackers. Anyway, it was business as usual for the rest of 1721, capturing ships, plundering loot, moving on to new ships and renaming them Royal Fortune, you know, just the normal Bartholomew Roberts routine. Um, He actually. Did do this. He actually did capture one new ship that became his final Royal Fortune, a ship that was filled with soldiers, many of whom happily joined up with Roberts' crew after he captured their ship. This Royal Fortune, originally called the Onslow, was already relatively well armed, but Roberts made some key modifications. He removed a bunch of the internal bulkheads that had been used to divide up cargo, you know, won't need them anymore, and instead he piled more cannons onto the ship until it had 40 guns in all by the time that Roberts had finished with it, and it had shed a lot of other weight to make it quicker and more manoeuvrable. At the end of 1721, Roberts and his fleet took a break. They careened their ships for repairs in November and December, and just generally chilled out a little bit. All that piracy can obviously, you know, really take it out of you, I bet. But uh, outside of last episode's pirate hunters, I guess it's worth saying, Roberts really had had no one stand in his way. You know his depredations had largely gone unchallenged, and now both sides of the Atlantic were being terrorised by this infamous pirate, with no one standing up to him. And then again, in 1722, it was much the same story. He set sail and, and headed into Uida, which is in today's Benin, and he pulled a classic Bartholomew Roberts move there. The harbour was filled with ships, eleven of them, and so he sailed his fleet in with his black flag raised. You mean you know you know the drill? You know what came next. The captains immediately struck their colours, surrendered to Roberts, who decided to take a slightly more profitable line than the one that he took in Trespassy. Rather than get the captains to line up for a tongue lashing every morning, he attempted instead to ransom the ships back to their captains. He said, pay me or I'll burn them to the ground. It's a sim- Well, burn them to the water. You get the point. I'm going to burn them, right? Give me money. Give me the gold. Give me gold or I'm going to burn your ships. It's as simple as that. He, he ransomed these ships for eight pounds of gold each. That's around $300,000 each in today's money, which is a fair whack of money. And all but one of the captains coughed up the gold, paying it over to Roberts for the safe return of their ship, which he duly, uh, he duly followed through on. All except for one. One captain didn't pay the gold for whatever reason. And... Um, this is about to get rather dark. It's not actually, it's not very nice what happened here as a result. We're not, I'm not really attempting to make light, light at this because it's pretty terrible. We've talked about Robert's attacking ships and nicking their stuff. And, you know, while the the distance between that happening and today, plus the general romanticization of 18th century piracy kind of makes it feel like it's it's not a big deal what these pirates were going around doing. I mean, they were still causing the death and the maiming and the injury of countless sailors. and and taking wealth and riches that wasn't theirs. They were murderous thieves. And then every now and again something like what I'm going to tell you would happen and it would remind you of the, the, the barbarism, the, the murderous and callous nature of some of these pirates and, and a lot of the romanticism kind of falls away. The ship whose captain refused to pay was a slave ship and there were 80 or so slaves on board, all shackled and restrained. And when the captain didn't pay, Roberts, not receiving this ransom, he followed through on the threat that he had made and he ordered his crew to burn the ship to cinders. And they did so, without releasing the slaves first. Those poor souls, they died in the fire or by drowning if they managed to escape their bonds in what is just a senseless and needless waste of human life, made all the worse because they, unlike so many of Roberts's other victims, didn't have a fighting chance to resist him or even a chance to surrender. I mean, I said that Roberts could be a pretty awful person, and I meant it. I, I know I'm contributing to the problem by romanticizing his career for the sake of light entertainment, but it's worth remembering that like, he killed people. He killed a lot of people, and mercilessly so, when it suited him. It's easy to make lighter things like that when a lot of time has passed. I mean, you know, comedy equals tragedy plus time, that's what they say, and we happily joke about Genghis Khan affecting the climate of the planet with all the people that he killed. But I don't know that any amount of time can turn a ship filled with restrained captives burning to death into comedy, to be honest, and I mean, I thought it important to uncompromisingly include this in in the otherwise breezy and light account of, of this murderous pirate's life. Roberts wasn't a good man, and I I hope I'm not making it out like he was. He was an outlaw. He was a killer. He was someone who robbed and stole and hurt and injured people. Uh, He lived a life of selfish greed and, and avarice. So why do we celebrate figures like him as, I don't know, not heroes, but at least as somewhat sympathetic characters? I don't know. I don't. I really don't. And I know I'm part of the problem with episodes like this, but their stories are interesting. They're fascinating, and they've captured the imaginations of of countless thousands across the years, and, and so their stories persist. Anyway, I'm sorry about that mood whiplash there. If it's any consolation, at the time that Roberts burnt all those, all those poor people to death, he only had a few weeks himself to live. He was He was soon to be killed. Let me tell you about that. <clears throat> Remember those 50-gun British warships that old crackers had warned Roberts about? Well, one of them, the HMS Swallow, had finally caught up with Roberts. In February 1721, when he and his fleet, the Royal Fortune, the Ranger, and the Little Ranger were at Cape Lopez in modern-day Gabon, the Swallow finally encountered them. The Swallow was under the command of Captain Shalloner Ogle, who spotted the pirates uh, from his enormous warship, and then swerved and turned around and begun to sail away. And there are many different theories as to exactly why Ogle did this. Uh, there are some uh, reports that say that there was a shoal in front of him and he was swerving to avoid the shoal. And there are others that say that it was a deliberate ruse in an attempt to lure the pirates into chasing him. Whatever it was, Roberts saw this maneuver from the, uh, from the swallow and, and somehow mistook this enormous warship for a merchant ship that was attempting to flee. So sensing a juicy target, Roberts ordered, the, or Roberts ordered a pursuit. He ordered the ranger to pursue the swallow and attack it, but Ogle, Despite the 50 guns at his command, after seeing the ranger uh, pursue him, didn't turn to face the much smaller 16-gun ship. Instead, he lured the ranger well away from the other pirate ships, out of earshot, and then turned the swallow on the ranger and gave her a taste of the old broadside. And the ranger was shot to pieces. Many of the crew died instantly, and those who remained surrendered before very much longer at all. And they were taken prisoner by the crew aboard the swallow, and they knew what fate very likely awaited them, hanging. For a few days, Roberts and his remaining crew, well, they wondered where the Ranger had got to, but ah, no worries, we'll just get on with the piracy. We'll take another ship here or there. No worries, they'll be back when they're back. Roberts and his crew had just, uh, had just captured a, a, another ship called the Neptune, and they'd settled in for a celebratory drink or three to commemorate the most recent triumph. And it was at that moment when the crew were all pissed as chooks that Captain Ogle and the Swallow returned. After realising that the approaching vessel was an enormous warship bent on combat, Roberts readied himself for battle, he dressed himself in his fine red silks as he always did when about to get into a fight, he put in his hat with its big flamingo feather, he slung his pistols about him, his diamond cross was glinting from his chest. He wasn't drunk himself. Uh, Unlike most pirates, apparently, he wasn't too fond of the grog, really. Uh, In fact, he usually just stuck to tea and generally didn't approve of drunkenness aboard his ships. But in the wake of this victory over the Neptune, discipline was lax and he'd allowed his crew to, uh, to get on the source. And in no small way, this lapse in discipline brought about not just the end of his career, but his life altogether. The swallow approached, and Roberts was told by the crew of the vanquished Neptune uh, about this ship and its its enormous armaments. And Roberts realized he didn't have a chance. He did not have a chance if he stood his ground and tried to fight. And so he made ready to escape, hoping that the speed of the Royal Fortune and the and the Little Ranger would deliver them from the swallow. However, in order to escape, his drunken crew had to maneuver the ships past the broadside of the swallow—a very dangerous prospect indeed. But it was the only way, and Roberts relied upon the fact that they could perhaps, perhaps survive one broadside, and so ordered his crew into position to make ready the escape. The pirates raced to get past the swallow as quick as possible, sailing past one side as fast as they could as it approached, and of course the swallow took the opportunity to blast the pirate ships with a full broadside. And Roberts had been right about one thing. One broadside wasn't enough to bring down the Royal Fortune and the Little Ranger. They did survive it, and maybe on another day they would have made good their escape. But it wasn't this day. The drunken crew, and in particular the helmsman, couldn't keep the Royal Fortune on course, and it was subjected, therefore, to a second broadside. And as part of this second broadside, Roberts was hit in the throat with grapeshot, wounded fatally. He died As a result of this injury and in accordance with his wishes his crew gave him a burial at sea in his fine clothing and with his diamond necklace they weighed down his body and chucked it overboard so it couldn't be paraded about by the authorities once it was captured. And that was the end of Bartholomew Roberts and given the type of man that he was I don't think he'd be unhappy with the way that he went out. His body was never found. Somewhere at the bottom of the Atlantic, his bones and their diamond encrusted cross linger, lost to the briny deep. Well, actually, no. Wait, hang on. There's no wait. No, there's no way his bones are still there. There's been like they're like 300 years old. They probably like they probably didn't last that long, right? How long do bones last under the sea? Probably not. Probably not three centuries. I mean, maybe the, their necklace didn't last either. Although diamonds are pretty tough, aren't they? I, oh, mate, I got, I got absolutely no idea. This this is half-ass history, not half-ass chemistry. Anyway, as for the other pirates. They attempted to fight off the swallow. They did. They, they actually joined battle with the, this British warship, but of course, they were outgunned, they were outmanned, and the British also had the advantage of, you know, being sober. And so the pirates were forced to surrender before long. Only three pirates actually died during this encounter, one of them being Roberts. The rest were captured and were taken prisoner. And they were met with very unhappy fates, as you might imagine captured pirates would be. Sixty-five of them were former slaves who Roberts had emancipated and added to his crew, and those sixty-five were immediately sold straight back into slavery, uh, while fifty-two of them were hanged for piracy, the fate that you would expect. Twenty became indentured to the Royal African Company, which was itself effectively another type of death, death sentence, just one that took a little longer. Uh, indentured servitude to the Royal African Company involved backbreaking hard labor in terrible conditions and resulted in life expectancy that was measured in weeks and months, not years. but a few did manage to escape punishment. Some were imprisoned and ultimately released while others never really faced any consequences for their involvement in uh, in Roberts's crew and they lived to tell the tale of sailing with one of the most successful pirates to ever have lived. As for Captain Shaliner Ogle, the man who brought down Roberts, he was knighted. He became the only man in British history to receive such an honor specifically for fighting pirates. And he also managed to pocket some of that gold that Robert had got when ransoming ships in Wieda. So he really did all right for himself out of this one. He snuck through the captain's cabin and managed to uh, nick some of the riches for himself. So he, he really, really did all right. But on a much broader level... The death of Roberts marked something of a turning point in the golden age of piracy. Some even consider it the end of this age. Certainly in the years following 1722, piracy declined, and by 1726, the the European authorities that dominated Atlantic trade had worked very hard and very successfully to eradicate piracy. But Bartholomew Roberts and his story remained. This very day, the story of the most successful pirate of this period, and perhaps the most successful pirate in the history of the West. But even though his story was cut short with an untimely death, as I say, I don't think Roberts would be sorry about it. Once, when talking about his life as a pirate, Roberts explained how he felt about piracy compared to a more common career path, and talked about how he wanted to live his life, which made me think that he would find it easy enough to accept his ultimate fate. Because here's what he said... In an honest service, there is thin commons, low wages and hard labour. In this, piracy, plenty and satiety, pleasure and ease, liberty and power. And who would not balance creditor on this side, when all the hazard that is run for it at worst is only a sour look or two at choking? No. A merry life and a short one shall be my motto. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the end of the story of Bartholomew Roberts, one of the most successful pirates in history. And I do hope you enjoyed it. We love a bit of naval history. We love a bit of pirate history here on Half us History. So I hope you enjoyed getting across all this and learning about stuff like pirate codes and black flags and, and everything else on top of hearing the story of Bartholomew Roberts. All the normal, normal boring housekeeping stuff coming your way here uh thanks so much to everyone who's getting in touch the best way to do this of course is via the website half contact form there please keep those uh keep those emails coming in it's great to read what people have got to say whether it's feedback or new topic suggestions i do apologize that i'm not able to reply to people but um just there there aren't enough hours in the day i do apologize i get i get that many emails these days that i'm not able to reply to people but i do read every single one and i i usually look up all the topics that are suggested uh except the ones that you know are suggested that i've already done. I'm kind of flattered. It's 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 nice that like the podcast is now old enough and long enough that people say, "Oh, you should do an episode on such and such a thing." I'm like, "Yep. Already done that one." <laughs> episode so and so. Anyway, thank you to everyone who's writing in. You know, I don't want that to discourage people from sending in topic ideas because hey, listen, if you send in a topic idea that I've already done, it's an endorsement. It, may, it means that I've made one that you're probably going to enjoy listening to when you get around to it. So thank you to everyone getting in touch. If you want to support the show uh, financially, two ways you can do this, of course, via the merch shop and via the Patreon. Links to both of which can be found on the website, Um, And I want to give a special thank you to all the Patreons, especially the new ones who are jumping aboard in recent weeks. Thank you so much for bolstering the numbers there. Those of you who are intent upon snagging the exclusive Patreon-only merch uh, available to you via the Half a Century Patron. So thank you to everyone there and also thank you to you for listening to this podcast regardless of whether you're a patron or not. It's great to have you along and I'm looking forward to more nonsense with you next week as uh, as we get stuck into whatever our next episode will be about. We'll see. Anyway, until then, leaving you with a question posed on Reddit. A pirate related question of course. Um much of our modern conception of uh, of pirates from this era isn't just based on fact but also on fiction. And uh, Captain Bartholomew Roberts actually did feature... He was named in the famous pirate novel Treasure Island, which was uh, a big part of establishing many of the tropes of of what we... You know, many of the modern-day pirate tropes that we have. And you'll remember Long John Silver, the fictional pirate from Treasure Island, and uh, Redditor Mummouth has a question about Long John Silver, asking, Did Long John Silver do all the pirate stuff before or after he revolutionised the undergarment industry?